public just as we were having a coffee between services and Andrew and I were both remarking that time is just like a metronome, isn't it? It just beats away. And we say we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do the other. And then life throws curveballs at us and things that we thought we were going to do we don't end up doing and we have to respond to opportunities. Then Andrew gave me a Greek lesson just for free for five minutes, so that was pretty good. And we ended up talking about pterodactyls and where the pterodactyl name comes from in the Latin. So it was you know, not something you get in church every day. But that's the backstory here. Um, chapter 22 is a really busy chapter. There was an awful lot going on. Um, the quick recap is that Jesus, sorry, Judas agrees early on that he's going to betray Jesus. The disciples prepare the upper room. The Passover is celebrated. They share communion. Jesus predicts who his betrayer is going to be. The disciples start arguing and having a massive fallout. And then Jesus has to deal and pull Simon to one side and basically tell him that you know there are some issues he needs to work through. And then we get to Gethsemane. Um, and that brings me to my prop. Now you can imagine I was, I was in full blast and I was going for this um, and then I realized Tim was sat there and I missed him because of the lights. Okay, Tim nearly fell off his chair when he saw this because Tim is a Tottenham supporter, as you all know. And I joked and I said, wouldn't it be funny if Tim was here and I could get him to come and wear it? And he was sat there. And, and the nine o'clock got really agitated because clearly there's an awful lot of Middlesbrough supporters at nine o'clock. Um, black and white, oh, that was like, you know, like red rag to a bull. To, really, it was. Um, Evie came up to me just before the service and she said, I've never seen that before. Dad, what's that? Are you a supporter? And I was like, well, closet supporter, I suppose. Don't know how much we paid for this, but we, we wore this when it was Alan Shearer's testimonial. Um, some of you will remember that a few years ago. But imagine that you were, for a moment, manager of a football club and... Or it can be any club, but we'll pick on football because it's something that uh, is popular. Uh, you pick each of the players, um, you invest into them, you teach them, you coach them, you mentor them. You're there with them day and night. And after three years, you've done all you can, and they're ready for their first game. And as they go on the field, it's now down to them. And that's a little bit what it was like with where we are in Luke's Gospel. Jesus is getting the team ready for everything that's going to happen. And as we heard last week, they still didn't get it. Now, if you roll forward to 2004, I can't remember what I was doing particularly in 2004. Seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, but the European football championships were taking place. And for those of you with good memories, um, and you uh, were of that persuasion, Greece were 150 to one outsiders. Nobody rated them. Nobody gave them a real chance. And along the way, they took on Germany and Portugal and various other teams. And they won the championship against all odds. Nobody expected them to do that. And they were asking the manager what had happened. Greece are not known as a powerhouse of football. Everybody expected Portugal and Germany uh, to win, and Italy and France. And he came out with an insight at a press conference which was, it just stunned everybody. Okay? And this is what he said. He said, I knew all of the other teams were built around world-class superstars. My team didn't have any of those. But I also knew 
that if we could take out that one individual, so for Portugal that was Ronaldo, and stop that individual playing to their potential, the rest of the team would shut down. They wouldn't know what to do. And so I gave each of my squad one specific job to do, and only one. And when they were doing that, their job was then to watch and play for the person next to them as a team. No superstars, no egos, everybody working together. That's exactly what they did. And if anybody, you go on YouTube and you can watch the game or whatever, Ronaldo had a terrible game. He got so frustrated, he was missing opportunities, the defenders were closing him down, and he let that red mist descend. And because of that, the rest of the team got frustrated with him, he got frustrated with them, they lost. Nobody expected it to happen. Quite a few years ago, it's, it's, again, this is out there for everybody to see, there was a, two Newcastle players decided they would have a punch-up on the pitch. The opposition couldn't believe what was happening. I think the referee could, the fans couldn't, the teammates couldn't. It had been brewing for months on the training ground and these two players really didn't like each other. And it spilled over onto the pitch on live television and two of them were basically throwing punches at each other. National sporting embarrassment, disgrace in terms of role models and for children. But it just meant the opposition had a fantastic game. They hammered them that day. And the reason they hammered Newcastle is they weren't a team. And so we come back to Jerusalem. Were they a team? Not a chance. They were a group of really quite strong-willed individuals. And it seemed as though, I don't know, everything Jesus had tried to teach them in three years, they just forgot it all. They're arguing. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's the most important? And we're not told what Jesus' reaction was to that, but surely he must have been just a wee bit disappointed and frustrated in them. Somebody said to me after the, the nine o'clock service, have you ever been on a team at school where they always, they pick the two captains and then they'd line everybody up and then they'd start picking? Yes. Yeah. Anybody had the experience of being maybe the last one picked? Not a great feeling, is it? It's, it's a rite of passage in life. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's the scraps. You'll do. And I can't remember who it was that we were just talking at the back, and they said, you know, the thing about this chapter is that when Jesus picked the squad, he picked them all, and he wanted them all to play. He didn't have favorites. There were no subs bench. He didn't pick them to put them on the subs bench. And as we approach Easter, you know, the important message is that God didn't pick you to put you on the sub bench. He picked you because he has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. Now, we might be a little bit like Simon. He starts with Simon. He's the potential captain. That's probably the best way to think of it. And he's not yet Peter. He's not the finished article. He's Simon. He's headstrong. And he's, he's proud. He's impetuous at times. He's rash. It's like a bull in a china shop. He can't control himself. And sometimes he crosses the line and he's a little bit arrogant. And Jesus starts with him and he pulls him to one side and he says, Simon, Simon. And any time in the Bible where either God, Holy Spirit, or Jesus speaks a person's name twice, it's to get their attention. And he gets his attention. And it says to him, actually, the, the, uh, the, the root language, and this is where Andrew and I were, were talking earlier, the original language is, says, Satan has demanded to obtain you. It's very different from saying Satan has asked for you. 
Satan has demanded you. In other words, I'm going to take the captain out and I'll destroy the team. But Jesus affirms everything that he has, his plan over him. And he basically says in verse 32, 33, look, you're going to be tested, you're going to be broken, but you'll come out of this a different person. And when you do, in verse 33, it says, strengthen your brothers. In other words, be the captain, lead the team. Jesus speaks that over us. He says, you're not the finished article yet, and we may be going through trials and tests, but you know, he has another name for us. And the name that he has for us is it's unique and it's precious and it's love. And it's faith and it's confidence and belief. I didn't make a mistake when I picked you. Verse 38 says, it's enough. The original language says, it's actually, it's my time to die. And in the footnotes, there's a little side note there that goes back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. And what Jesus is saying is, everything that was prophesied about me in the Old Testament it's now fulfilled. I'm ready to die. This is my time. The disciples didn't understand that. Verse 39 is maybe the most important verse in the whole chapter. It's the, if you like, the, all of Jesus' life comes down to this one moment. Not the cross. It comes down to this one moment. Because this moment decides whether or not he will go to the cross whether or not he'll be obedient to his father. You look back across the course of Jesus' life and there were multiple occasions when Satan and demonic powers tried to take his life. So Herod was inspired, wasn't he? Demonically inspired uh, in Matthew's gospel to kill all of the children, the male children. And it says that, uh, there in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 2 of Matthew in verse 13, an angel came and spoke to his father, Joseph, his, his earthly father, and told him to flee to Egypt because Herod wanted the life of the child. Then in Mark's gospel, the disciples get into a board. And then there is a storm comes from nowhere. The original language says that it was a seismic storm. In other words, not a natural storm. It was designed by the hordes of hell to kill him. And then later on in the Gospels, he talks about where a crowd gets ready to throw Jesus off a cliff. And he said, it's not my time. And he walked through the middle of them. There were so many examples where the hordes of hell did not want Jesus to fulfill his destiny and his purpose. And so in verse 42, it says on there that he's, he's in a battle. And the, the original Aramaic, because Jesus spoke the language of Aramaic, which was then translated into Greek, which was then translated into English. So we get it almost third hand. And what the original language can be read is this. Father, save me from death, but not death on the cross. Very different to how we read it in our Bibles. So what he was saying is, Lord, save me from death at this point, right here, right now, in this moment but not from my purpose. You see, he knew that that's what he needed to do. Verse 44. I'm sorry, this is a bit heavy this morning. Matt said he saves all the good subjects for me. So one day I'm going to get unicorns and pink fluffy flowers and stuff like that. For now he keeps giving me all the good stuff. Verse 44. Um, 
the translators, for whatever reason, I, I don't understand this, I couldn't find this out, but the translators missed out one word which was in the original language, in which if you insert that word, it changes everything. So verse 44 says, and being in agony. Makes sense, doesn't it? Being in pain, being in suffering. But the little word that the translators missed out is the English word, an. And being in an agony. Okay? Being in an an agony. The original Greek meaning of this, and and I was talking with this about uh, Andrew earlier, is in the Greek language, the the root word is agon, A-G-O-N, agon. And that was a place of assembly. So it was a building, a location where the Greeks would go to watch. Uh, very similar to a Roman amphitheater, where the Roman amphitheater, they would have the, you know, the gladiators and there would be a duel and a fight. The Greek equivalent of that was called an aegon. And it was literally a place where, a con- I wouldn't call it competition, but where there was conflict, where there would be a winner and there would be a loser where there would be a conqueror, a vanquished, a champion, and a defeated. And so when he says he was in an agony, it means he was in a very specific battle at that point in time, before he even got to the cross. And it was designed by the hordes of hell, by Satan, to finish him off, to stop him from going to the cross for you and me. That is where the battle for the cross was taking place. Now, I did joke on at nine o'clock, were there any doctors in the room? And Lawrence stuck his hand up. Uh, and that sort of, uh, he was laughing at me before I'd even started. Um, and then David Emerton got me afterwards as well. So I'm, I'm dead when it comes to the, uh, the medical phrase. Verse 44, I had to spell this out phonetically and there was lots of laughing at nine o'clock. Um, I hope Kay and anybody else that's of a medical background will forgive me. Okay, I'll do my best. Verse 44, Hema, obviously meaning blood, Hematohydrosis. I hope I've pronounced that right. Andrew actually gave me the, uh, the Greek meanings for uh, the, the root meanings for all of that broken down, which was great. It's a very, very rare medical condition. And it, it happens when individuals are under extreme stress. Uh, and what basically happens is the sweat glands uh, and the blood vessels contract under that pressure. And as a result of that, literally, blood and sweat flows. And that's what was happening to Jesus in verse 44. It was an intense, it couldn't have been more intense. We will probably never understand as humans what he was going through as the man, Christ Jesus, and also as the Son of God. But that is where everything was fixed. Nothing from then on was going to keep him from fulfilling his destiny. That's where the battle for you and me, not on the subs bench, But for you and me, as everyone that is called and chosen, having a purpose, being the Simons, being the headstrong, being the proud, being the imperfect people, he knew that we needed to be saved. And the only way to do that was to go to the cross. He knew that. The final point I want to make is really his arrest, which is almost, I wouldn't say the anticlimax to the story, The struggle was actually getting there and bowing his will to his father and coming through that battle. His arrest was just the outcome. But there is one point in there that is really important, and it's verse 53. And again, um, the original language is very different to where that my Bible is written, and it says, these are the, 
the way that it can be read. But this is the hour of the authority of the powers of darkness over me. The reason I came into the world. In other words, in submitting himself to his father's authority, he knew that for a limited and specific period of time, he would be making himself vulnerable to those powers of darkness. You know, the miracle of, of Luke's gospel is that he got to the cross for you and me at all. He endured the cross, but the miracle is actually that he got to the cross, that he was obedient to his father, that his father preserved him at that point, that he was strengthened by that angel and renewed, and he was able to go to that cross thinking about you and me. You know, Simon, when we start off early in that, he is just Simon the headstrong, Simon the impetuous, Simon the selfish, Simon the proud, the arrogant, Simon the one that was full of good ideas and let him down. I can identify with that. I think we can all identify that we have traits in our character that we're not proud of and we let ourselves down, we let you know, the Lord down so many times. But at the back end of this, Simon is no longer Simon, he is Peter, the rock. Something has happened in his life. He's changed. He's transformed. And as we come to, um, up to Easter, it is busy. There is an awful lot going on in our lives. Um, at times we seem to think, am I always going to be this way? Am I always going to be a Simon? Is my character fixed? And what Jesus says coming to Easter is, let Calvary wash over you again. Let my Holy Spirit do what he does best. You can become Peter. You don't have to be who you were born in your circumstances, whatever they may be now. We're thinking about Tim and facing that, you know, demands for pressures there. You know, we are not who our circumstances make us. We have a destiny in God. And so as we get to Easter, my prayer is that, you know, those things that we've spoken about this morning, those deep things, he did it all because he loves us and he loves us so very much. So we'll just pray and then we'll give this back. Father, we thank you so much that you are willing to send your son Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to come, make yourself obedient to your Father's will and Holy Spirit that you reveal all of that to our hearts and lives and make it real. And as we approach Easter, we think of those disciples, you know, Judas who betrayed you, Simon who made so many mistakes, the rest of the disciples who you knew under pressure would just fade away. They would be rudderless and you'd be left alone. Thank you that you took all of that on for each of us, and you did it from a heart of love. And we pray, Holy Spirit, we would let you have your way in our lives, and that you would turn those things in our lives where we look at ourselves and we are Simon all the way through, and you would turn us to Peter. So move in our hearts. Help us to make you and find that space for you so that you can have your way, we pray. Amen.